dangerously close. This episode was brought to you by William Mitchell Audio. And I always wait until the last minute to write these ads, and I think sometimes it's more evident than others how much time I actually gave myself. I'm not sure if you're going to be able to tell this time, but uh, this is what I have so far. William Mitchell Audio is a audio production company. Please visit williammitchellaudio.com. This is always the hardest part for me, but I'm going to do my best. (laughs) (laughs) My guest today is Zuri McWhorter. Zuri McWhorter is a mystery in flux. She's found success as the sole proprietor of a literary zine, a roaming photographer, and an inveterate smoker. Now she's making her foray into film. She began film studies at Interlochen Art Camp, her senior senior year of high school, and jumped into the subject heart first. Her enchantment with cinematography made screenwriting that more interesting, ironically. Man, I'm terrible at reading out loud. And <laughs> I'm just moving, moving on. I'm just going to plow through this. Yeah, yeah. Soon, all of her writing became unfolding and pleasing to the ear and the eye. She studied even more at Michigan State University and Trinity College in Dublin, Ireland, mm-hmm. two of the whitest places on earth. This would become a trend. In between writing gigs, Zuri took a job in Portland, Oregon, a vastly different place than Detroit, as a high school tutor and poetry teacher. The sheer liberal agenda of the town fueled her to write her most successful work of short fiction to date, Bait, a historical flash fiction five times published. She's self-published two poetry chapbooks, Woes of a Well-Lit City and Not Too Far From China, and continually curates the Juste Milieu Literature and Art Zine, a print-only zine that shares writing and visuals, Current issue, number 13, the acid issue is available now. And if you see her out and you want to buy her a drink, is gin only, a very dirty martini, or a lime-heavy GNT, a.k.a. gin and tonic for people who don't know what that means. <laughs> What's up, Zuri? Oh, man, I'm doing so good. How are you? I am doing really, really good. I, I wanted to ask you to do this. I, this is something I do with, like, um, musical guests is just play <laughs> A clip of their music and i know that i just hit you up just today to be like hey can you do an excerpt of your poetry just because like why try to describe it when you could just uh read it yeah yeah can you do you want to just kick off the whole episode by doing an excerpt sure i can do that um i'm picking a piece from my first book woes of willet city um in this book the poem is called toy isle but after i kind of redid it i renamed it to facade So whichever title makes you feel better, that's the one you should go with. But it goes like this. We are just children pretending to be lovers and friends and sisters and brothers. We're a facade for the weak and the tortured, a chipping system supporting each other. We're all just children playing a game with broken plastic pieces. I love it. Thank you. (laughs) That's awesome. And I mean, that's why you're here too, because you're awesome. You do so much cool shit, but... uh... Yeah. I love your poetry and thank you for uh, reading a little bit. Of course. But I do have to say, uh, first of all, I, I want to say uh, thank you so much for being here today. It's like I've, I've been watching uh, Detroit on the news this week and mm. that flood looks insane. Uh, especially, I think I told the video of I-94, it just looks like a river. Yeah. Like, how's that been going? Has it affected you? 
Yeah, it affected me a lot. The building that I live in now is a very old building. Um, so a lot of the systems that we use are steel and iron and very basement heavy, not a lot of central air, not a lot of you know, efficient plumbing. So when the flood happened, my entire basement was in like five feet of water. Ugh. And it was, but I didn't see the water. So by the time I got downstairs, shit had been like floating around and ended up in different places. So that was how I figured it out. And then I tried to take a shower and when my hot water was off because the water got so hot, it blew the pilot light out. So there was no water in my place for three days. Floods are no joke. We actually, no we actually, one was prepared. We had, a, we had a flood here this year, um, mm-hmm. but we had a, we had like a kind of like an international news flood. Uh, do you mind if I share a quick story from the Nashville Please. flood? Like, it's yeah. just called the Nashville flood because it was 2010 and it was huge. Mm-hmm. And uh. I was trying to get to work. I was on the freeway and I had called my boss because the traffic was so bad and he was an asshole. And I was like, Hey man, I, like I had heard on the news, like there's a flood. And I was like, Hey, there's a flood. I'm going to be late. And he was such a, he was a dick. And he was like, he's like, yeah, just like everyone else can't come to work today because of the yeah. flood. And I was like, I was like, I'm trying, man, but I'm like 40 minutes away on the freeway. But the freeway was starting to like uh, fill up with water yeah. and it was washing some cars off the road here and there. Cause Nashville's very hilly or, you know, Tennessee's mm-hmm. very hilly. Mm-hmm. And I just kept going and going. And at the time I was driving a uh, Toyota Corolla, which is a great car, but it's a small car. Yeah. And I just kept I- going and going. And uh, at one point, everyone ahead of me had turned around and drove back the opposite way down the freeway, the wrong way. Right. To yeah. get away from uh, what was happening. And I just kept going and I went like, you know, you'd be on dry land and then you would dip into the water. And every time I did that, I like, would get a little deeper. And I was like, this is getting nuts. And then at one point I saw a Toyota Corolla over in the ditch on the side of the road floating away. No. And I was like, oh, no, I was like, I am, I'm in trouble. That was going to be you. And yeah, I was like, that's where I'm, I mean, and also I was like, I can't afford to lose this car. So I took the, the next exit. And I thought it was like, maybe might've been a small town, you know, but it ended up being like this little spot on the side of the freeway that literally it seemed like it had nothing, but it was just a gas station. Mm. And there were tons of people there, like people just trying to get away from like the freeway and the people that owned the gas station were pretty cool. It wasn't like a corporate one. It was kind of like a mom and pop. Yeah, yeah. And they put out these like big old buckets of ice out front full of beer. And they were like 50 cents a beer. And so it ended up being a party, like right. just picking it on like, in the middle of nowhere, buying 50 cent beers, talking to all these stranded motorists. That's my whole story. There's, yeah, no, <laughs> I mean, that, I was driving like I just was going to go and check on some stuff. And I didn't. Re- I'm like, OK, so the freeways are flooded, whatever. I'll take the side streets because you know how to do that here. We got lots of side streets. So I'm going down one in particular called Dick's and Dick's goes <laughs> through a cemetery. And by the time I got to the cemetery, it was basically, you know, water up to the roof for your car. So I'm like, if you can see water, pretty sure somebody counseling in this cemetery because it's right there. Oh, so yeah. I had to go like I had to go and then go up on the sidewalk and turn around. It's just been a hot ass mess. It was a huge thing in uh, in New Orleans during Katrina because yeah. also their cemeteries were so are high up. Yeah, but like they would, uh, like so many coffins got washed out yeah. and they like floated away. And people like it was one of the worst jobs you could have as like oh, search and rescue was yeah. going to uh, like get the coffins and put them back where they went. And some of them would open. Mm. 
man, we, we started this off on a really positive note. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> Wet bodies. I love it. Actually, it's so funny that we even mentioned that because uh, later on, I actually have, I was going to bring up uh, Anthony Mackey for some other reasons. Yeah, he yeah. actually made a really cool, I think it was a Netflix movie. And there's a whole scene in that where, because uh, he's a, he's an ambulance driver and search and rescue guy. And he actually like has to go, I don't want to like spoil the movie. He's like a time traveler, but he has to go like pick up his family's coffins because of, of Katrina. What's the name of this film? Just Google Anthony, Anthony Mackey time travel. That's probably all you have to do. Okay. Oh, actually, you know what right, would cool. happen? Avengers would pop up because they time travel in that. <laughs> right. Um, but I, I back to Detroit because we're that's what we're talking about. That's what uh, we are. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to say, like, a, like a ton of my family is from Detroit, and really, like, my mom's from there. Yeah, and uh, oh. and I always hear, and I have friends from there, and I always hear people describe Detroit as like. Uh, like a really awesome place. It's got tons of fun stuff to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really beautiful through a lot of the year. Like, you know, those kind of things I hear, but at the same time, like, because I'm bummed out of, it's one of the only major cities I haven't visited. Mm-hmm. Cause it's kind of like, in a way it's isolated. Like it's not something you would drive through because I don't no, it's not drive to all. Canada ever right. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And none of my family's up there anymore, really. So but what I was going to ask is, I think, and I'm sure you've noticed this, that Hollywood always likes to depict Detroit as like uh, just like this terrible like I, some examples I can think of would be like uh, like Four Brothers or <laughs> yeah. or Eight Mile or Gran Torino or like RoboCop or The Crow. Do you know what I'm saying? Like the they always it's like a movie trope that Detroit is this wasteland. And why do you think? Hollywood wants to do that with Detroit. Like, why can't Hollywood just make a good ass movie about Detroit where it's not? Same thing. Because, you know, I mean, not to go off into Comedy Central, but when they had their show, Detroiters, I'm pretty sure, like, even though the show sucked, (laughs) (laughs) that was the most positive light I'd ever seen Detroit being. And it's like, it was where they shot at because I live and I grew up in Midtown. That's the area we're in, or the Cass, I call it Cass Corridor because that's what it is. But all you new people can call it Midtown. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> and this is this would be the part of town where the college kids are at Wayne State, the young professionals at Quicken Loans. They're building a lot of, you know, high-rise apartments, all that kind of stuff. In this one, like, I'll say 10-mile radius. But then on the outside of Detroit, it's like what it is in the movies. Like, you walk around and you see dilapidated buildings and homeless people and yeah. I mean, most of Detroit is that. And I'm not saying that like that should be the forefront of what you're showing people. But I mean, I understand why Hollywood does it, because if you're not living here, you're not going to think about Cass Court or you're not going to really think about any of the even the little towns within Detroit, like Hamtramck or Highland Park. You know, you're not thinking about that. You're thinking about the massive parts. So you've got Seven Mile, which is one of the dangerous places in the world. You go on YouTube and see that. And yet, yeah, if you don't know what the fuck you're doing, you just walking around you get fucked up that is what it is but i mean i i like to think that detroit is getting a little more positivity in the media and the way it's portrayed in fiction just because it's all an agenda they want people to move here they want people to come get these jobs they want people to come and live in these apartments and housing that they keep building everywhere because there's a lot of space we have a lot of land so whenever 
And then, you know, people come here and you can buy a house for $500. Yeah. Pick it up and live there. But these houses are in some of the worst neighborhoods. So you'll so drive. Interesting that you brought that up because actually I was going to get into that later, but uh, yeah. I don't, I don't want to interrupt you. I just, it's just, it's yeah. so amazing. Like when I have a guest and like, I like, cause I wrote, I, I don't really write my questions in like question form. I just write bullet points. Yeah. And like so far have like, like kicked into like so many things that I have, I was going to just try and like get you to talk about and like, but you, <laughs> but I mean, whatever, you're a poet, you're a creator, you're a writer, you're a screenwriter and I've been you're here a traveler. Forever. So, I mean, obviously <laughs> you're going to get to the interesting stuff. I'm going to get to the nitty gritty. And I mean, like, I don't see myself ever like taking up residence, permanent residence anywhere else. I've never changed my address. I've never changed my phone number. Like Detroit is just what it's going to be because I know it well. And I know what's happening here. Like if, it's just like Brooklyn or any other part of town in a shitty town that wants to be cute. It's the same thing. And um, yeah, there is, man, when you brought up quick and loans, I honestly, I actually, can I save that for later? Because mm-hmm. yeah. I have some opinions about that. So do I. <laughs> well, they're, like, they're a predatory loan company. And I, and I, I know, I do know what they're doing in Detroit, but we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, can I like t- this just popped in my head just now when you were talking about like, you know, cause you live in like the midtown area, but there are like outlying areas, like the or whole uh, areas that are kind of like almost abandoned. Mm-hmm. And I had watched this really pretty cool video. These uh, dudes made where they went out to where like all the buildings were like really, really uh, falling apart. And like during like a deep snow, like a deep, deep Michigan snow, and they got snowmobiles and they would they were pulling dudes on skis and like having them like do shit where they would uh they'd get them going like real fast like 40 miles an hour and pull them into a building and like they would do like a flip or some kind of cool trick and come out like a window because the, the buildings were you know have long since have been abandoned yeah yeah that could be anywhere that could be on joy road that could be on dexter that could be on seven mile that could be on any street honestly that's not midtown I mean, we do have our abandoned stuff, but the architecture in the corridor is vastly different than the architecture in the residential areas. The houses are close together. They basically look the same. It's not like a suburb at all, but the houses that were built during, you know, the influx of people coming from the South to work in the plants, they're like, we just got to get a bunch of fucking houses. So let's just put them all here. But then Midtown was full of the rich people. So you got Victorians, you got castles. We got castles everywhere in Detroit. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. it, it, I see why people are drawn to this area and want to fix this area up first, but it's slowly making its way out to the west side, the east side, all of that. Yeah, I mean, like, value is going up. There's like, man, there's so like, I, f- I feel like I missed out, you know, just because like maybe when I was born or whatever, but like, uh, so like my mom, like she grew up in Detroit with her uh, siblings and like she went to uh, University of Michigan or whatever. And mm-hmm. Uh, my uncle was, uh, he worked in, he was like, worked in one of those factories, which I think was a good, good job at the time or whatever. Yeah. And then, but honestly, you know what I want to do? And this is, I feel like we're really starting on a depressing note, but I do want to give a quick shout out to my last, I think my, my last remaining, uh, Detroit relative, which is my, my great uncle Lloyd. He died of COVID last year, or I should say he passed away of COVID last year. Yeah. And I do want to say to a, a lot of people that don't think COVID's real you're uh you're being an asshole <laughs> because people are dying of it i have a family member that died of it but uh i don't want to make that depressing because he lived a really long amazing life he fought in world war ii and he wow. survived that 
and then yeah. lived 70 more years and then died like you know at a very ripe old age uh mm. and quickly and painlessly so whatever yeah. but yeah i just wanted to shout him out because we're talking about detroit and i know that's like my, a lot of my family might be listening to this and i want to yeah. shout, shout out our last like detroit relative you know that's amazing uh, <laughs> can, but let's can we like move past uh depressing stuff and say this yeah. uh <laughs> do you think anthony mackie and eminem ever get together to rap battle for old time's sake i truly hope not you know something crazy though like i i have not seen eight i haven't sat down and watched eight mile all the way through oh you've never seen the, all the movies like from start to finish like i've seen bits and pieces my entire life it's a it's a weird i'm not dude i guarantee you i'm not sitting here trying to uh promote eight mile I just, oh, no. oh, it's just, no, no, what, no. what it is is that it's a it's bizarrely become such a a movie representative of, of detroit for probably not for good or not for not good for not good reasons not and I also I, I do think and the reason i brought up anthony mackie is because i just watched his latest and i'm a big fan of him period mm-hmm. yeah. but uh i actually just posted a, a meme today just because I, I knew i was gonna have you on and i was headed in my mind where I did, I took the the rap battle scene with him and Eminem, and then I took the now he's Captain America now, and so I did. Uh, this dude's name Papa Doc, man. His real name's Captain America. <laughs> 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 like that scene where he like calls him out and tells him says what his real yeah, name yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. I guess that wasn't the greatest work of art I've ever done. <laughs> I mean, you got to see a meme. You can't you can't explain a meme. You got yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know. You know? <laughs> <laughs> all right so i'm i'm gonna move into like everything you were just talking about just uh and that's just that like i've heard like in recent years uh detroit's been blowing up with uh artist communities uh simply for the fact what you were saying before like that you can afford studio space potentially and so people like you know a lot of like probably pretty good artists moving up there i don't really know like uh how much how you feel about it like for instance i i hate people moving to nashville even if they're coming here for a cool reason uh but i've also heard a lot about like uh quicken loans is just trying to buy up every single square inch of that entire city for what i can only assume is an evil plot so uh as the question is are either of those things true or both or neither yeah no they're both true um the artist community in detroit was always large and in charge (laughs) it was always kind of spread out um but I'll say in the last decade or so, um, you know, we have a creative college, a creative studies college. So a lot of those kids who go there end up staying here, you know? So we have this influx of people who are just trying to, you know, be visual artists, be musicians. Um, when we had the film incentive, we got a bunch of people trying to, you know, be directors and actors, a lot of theater kids. So like 10 years ago, being in Detroit seemed like it was going to be the only place. You, it was going to be a new New York, you know? You yeah. could move here and be in a movie. You could move here and get a print ad, any of that kind of stuff. You could move here and do murals, you know, for different businesses. Um, but over the last, I I, yeah, over the last five or so years, I will say that the, the, the corporations, though they are trying to be artsy and include artistic things in their business models, like it could be a part of the evil plot to make their buildings look less offensive. I don't really know what it is, but 
they try to keep it local. They try to make sure that they hire people who are from the city or at least in the metro Detroit area. But a lot of times they miss the mark and they'll get people who aren't from here and have somebody from Nashville make a Detroit mural. And it's like, yeah, I want to be mad at that, but an artist is an artist. It doesn't really matter where you're from. Because if I move somewhere, I would want to be able to get work. You know, I can't, I can't put that. But, you know, people on the outside don't really understand that. But yes, the arts are, are very, they're strong now. People still come here to produce music. And, and there's like a, there's a historical precedent for that too, because, uh, I mean, I'm drawing a blank on his name. It was Frito Kahlo, Kahlo's husband. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Rivera. Diego Rivera. Diego, oh, I feel so stupid. I hate when I can't think of someone's name like that. <laughs> Especially like, but uh, there was like a huge deal, like, because yeah. he went to Detroit in his time and created all those, like, those murals. Uh, mm -hmm. I think he was like very socialist and, yes, and he was like, and, but I think it was a corporately sponsored thing, maybe by GM or one of those companies. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And, but like, he was such a uh, revered artist at that time. They just let him do this stuff. And so it's like, it holds up till uh, even even today, like this is great art and it's got a great message yeah. uh, in my opinion, mm -hmm. so. I think it's the people of Detroit who just appreciate when things come here because we get so little. <laughs> we don't really get shit. Nobody comes here, like even me. I'm, I'll, my music taste is a little eclectic. So a lot of people I listen to don't necessarily come to Detroit. Like I could probably go see Gucci Mane or, <laughs> <laughs> or The Weeknd, they gonna come here, but you know, I'm gonna have to go out to Kalamazoo or Is it, isn't J. Cole J. Cole's from Detroit, right? Ew, no. Sorry. He's not? No. I don't oh, think so. it, I'm I'm not a J. Cole fan. I'm not trying to say <laughs> I'm a, pretty sure he's I from was just South. trying to like I, I literally for some reason thought he was a uh, Detroit rapper. Right? If he know. was, I'd be upset. But we got Big Sean <laughs> and T Grizzly inside of it <laughs> but that's the other thing like there's our, like worse shit there's there's a kid rock i mean how much worse uh, does it get yeah you know what i'm saying <laughs> but i think i like that i like our underground scene much better you know what yeah. i'm saying like if you're not here you don't really know what i'm talking about but i mean i don't detroit mainstream is not where it's at honestly yeah me. You know, that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. I I have to come up sometime. If I ever come up, will you please like uh, let me of kick course. it with you and like listen to some dope music? Yes. And if you're ever in Nashville, I'll I'll help you like avoid all the hideous garbage yeah. part of the city where there's no good music. Because there's actually, honestly, there's a, and there always has been as far as far back as I can remember, like a really dope hip hop scene in Nashville. It's just been mm -hmm. forever. It's just like it's just not super respected. And like, yeah, it's the same thing, like with when it comes to mainstream, Nashville gets glossed over because, you know, a lot of people like they just think like, well, I guess I can think of Young Buck. It's like the only dude they can think of, you know? Are you serious? <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. we, well we get we get overshined by Atlanta, uh -huh. which is kind of it's just it's just really hard because it's like, especially in the hip hop scene is like living in the shadow of Atlanta where like you've got everyone. Well. I mean, I guess we could talk about Memphis. If we want to talk Memphis, then... I do want to talk about Memphis because people compare Detroit to Memphis a lot. You ever been to Memphis? I haven't. Oh, you would... And I, I think you would love it. I, I don't know if you will enough to say you would love it, but do you like really fun places? <laughs> yes. 
you know, you know what I compare him. Memphis to a lot is actually, and this is I've been I've gotten pushback from people before hmm. uh, for saying things like this. But I actually I compare Memphis a lot to there's two cities where I I get it's like a, you know it's a vibe or whatever. I compare Memphis to New Orleans a lot. And I also have compared it to Tampa, Florida. And that's where people will be like, what the fuck are you talking about? And it's just, the, yeah. like, it's the party scene, it's the vibe. And it's just like, I've been in Tampa, Florida, where I'm like, this reminds me a lot of Memphis and uh, New Orleans. That's crazy. I would have never thought that. Depends on the time of year. I think no if you, if you go to, if you go to Tampa, Florida, uh, around the same time as Mardi Gras, they do a very similar thing. It's, it's fucking sick. Oh, no, I think you froze. Oh. Get a oh no you're back <laughs> i hate when that happens when i when i say something that i'm like i think uh someone might not want to hear and then they freeze with a with a like a facial expression that i don't know what it means yeah. <laughs> hold up it's time for an ad this episode was also brought to you today by cigarettes now i can talk until the cows come home about how great cigarettes are but you don't have to hear it from me the Cigarette Factory sent me over this heartfelt customer testimonial and asked me to play it on the show. So, without further ado, let's listen to what this guy has to say. Howdy there, folks. My name is Skyler, and I work on a farm doing farm work. And there's nothing I like more than an ice-cold cigarette after a hard day of farm work. Thank you, Skyler, and thank you, Cigarettes. Be sure to visit your local gas station and use promo code MYVIEWSAREMYOWN for 20% off your first pack of cigarettes. Now back to the interview. Okay, so I want to make a quick apology about talking about Detroit so much. Uh, but just like, it's an interesting, interesting city to me. I don't know anything about it. And I feel like you can represent it for a lot of people. But I asked you to come on the podcast to talk about you and talk about your art. And that's really what we're going to do. So, so thanks for the long, long preamble of yeah. Detroit. And let's do uh, really, I guess, yeah. Speaking of art communities in Detroit, you are the sole proprietor of Just Milieu. I can, I suck at that. Will you say that for me? Just Milieu. Just Milieu, <laughs> literature and art zine. What does Just Milieu mean? Just Milieu means the happy medium. That's really cool. <laughs> All right. This is kind of a huge and open-ended question. So feel free to answer it however you like. I mean, it's not like, because it's not really a very precise question, but it really is just like, uh, what is the history of Juice Milieu? And like, like, what's it all about? Yeah. So um, I started writing, like sharing my writing, because I've always written. I've written poetry in a notebook since I was like three years old. So when I decided that I was gonna share it like on the internet and try to get published, um, I realized that a lot of people, well, a lot of publications, journals, scholarly publications like that, um, they want you to kind of be published already. <laughs> like yeah, they need yeah, you to yeah. have that little blue check mark. It's, so that, it's that, that's that conundrum or whatever, yeah. where, where they're like uh, with people that want, like I have a buddy who's like a, web developer and like he can't get a, he's really good at what he does but he can't get the job he wants because they're like you need five experience five years experience doing the job that you want to have but you can't get five years experience unless you get this particular job that you have to have five experience does that make sense yeah no completely and um they want you to be a graduate they want you to maybe be in some sort of 
a high degree program. Like it was just a lot of stuff. I was just, re- I was noticing that when I was submitting the journals, um, I just wasn't, I wasn't getting it published as much as I thought I should. It's just the arrogance you get as an artist. You're like, I'm doing this shit. Why is no one receptive? <laughs> so after, after maybe a hundred rejections and two yeses, I was like, I'm going to just make my own magazine. And oh, uh, yeah. I had this, this book of endangered words and Juice Malou was one of those words. And I thought it sounded cool. So I put the two together. Um, I did like an open call for art and literature on Instagram. This was in 2017 in the fall. And it was a very thin, it was thin, like pamphlet thin, you know, of course. But I mean, that was, that's it. I just wanted people, including myself, cause I would put pieces in it, of course, but I wanted other people to be able to get published. Cause I don't really have a lot of restrictions. I'm not looking for anything. I'm not trying to have this high class magazine that like the Paris Review that you can only get in if you know somebody. I just wanted somebody like, I have this poem here, share it, cool. No problem. Oh, can I interject too? Cause I have a strong opinion on this. Yeah. I think it's, it's antithetical to what being an artist or a poet is, is to be held to these corporate standards. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's like, it's almost as though like, it's like, yeah, like the Paris Review, I, I don't know much about that, but I just know that like, if they have some kind of criteria where they're gonna block a great artist or a great poet from sharing what they do because they haven't followed this corporate ladder, then yeah. you're literally excluding almost certainly the actual best artists and best poets. Right. I mean, obviously there's like probably some outliers, like some person who's like, who is a great artist and a great poet who also is comfortable living in this corporate world or whatever. But I, that's, I, I'm sorry, that, that was a long interjection, but I felt <laughs> like I needed to say it. <laughs> no, totally. No, I get it. And that's like, that's why the first five issues of Juice Malou were just open in, send me something, I'm going to print it. And then I started to do things. Like I wasn't trying to put too much restriction. I mean, as the zine, you know, progressed, I had to scale back on some stuff like, oh, these poems can't be a hundred lines. You can't send me an epic poem because I can't print this, but I appreciate it. So, you know, from there, it's just like, okay, let's keep it at 20 lines. Let's keep your flash fiction at a thousand words. Um, And then some people would send me five or six long ass poems and it's like okay I can't read through all of this I can't, like it was just you know just things here and there as the editor that I had to you know do things that made it easier for me so that the product was good but yeah. other than that I'm not really restricting anybody from talking about anything that's you know I also think like it's another reason why like I just had this talk to you because like you create an actual physical zine still mm-hmm. and uh, I've, I've always had just a deep appreciation and love for zines and like, you know, in some ways they're becoming a lost art form, but yeah. like you're keeping it alive in Detroit and that's fucking awesome. Uh, I mean, how hard is that? Like, like, how do you, like, how do you even make that happen now? It's not very hard to be honest. I'm going to give you the, the secret formula. I use canva.com to template it out. Um, I use a printer here in Michigan really good margins like print honestly if you're printing booklets it's not that expensive i don't know why i don't get the formula i don't know but like this like woes of a world let's see this was very cheap to print and i think that's the thing that people don't get if they're writing or trying to do you know 
photography prints, anything like physically printed out, they think it's tedious and expensive and it's really not. It's not as expensive as one would think, if, especially if you're doing like a hundred copies. So I just, you know, I'll give the, uh, I'll give the, the submission time is usually four months. Just let it roll in. I make my decision at the end. Um, if I see something I really like, I answer immediately, of course, but I give it six, I give it four to six months and I do this twice a year. So yeah. well, uh, one question just for like, just for, so everyone knows, cause like, this is not a term that everyone is super familiar with and mm -hmm. that's flash fiction. Yeah. You yeah, explain, yeah, explain yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I know. I wasn't, I didn't know what that was until I wrote one. I was like, Oh, is that what this is? <laughs> it's, flash fiction is something that's less than a thousand words up to a thousand words. Okay. Page, you know, and that's what bait was the story I talked about. It was, I just wrote this story one day and I was trying to figure out the parameters of it. I was Googling and apparently it was flash fiction. Dope. Uh, and that's been published five times. Yeah. 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 And I'm going <laughs> to, I, I liked bait when I wrote it. I wrote it when I was in Portland. So me black girl from Detroit in Portland with all these white people. Yeah. I felt oppressed. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> and it wasn't and it wasn't like in a way that I couldn't do anything. It's just like the way that they were having me think was weird. Like I was working at the high school and they had me working with uh I don't want to say at risk because they weren't at risk. Like people always say that just because you're black or brown, you're at risk for something. It's like, no, I'm not. Y'all put me over here for a reason. <laughs> yeah. Don't know why. But when I was working with these kids, they would like try to figure out like their curriculum for me to talk to black and brown kids. They would tell me how to interact with these kids, like bring up their grandmother or the ancestors. I'm like, what? What the fuck? <laughs> Never, man. <laughs> would, like we would have fucking we would have <clears throat> seminars about this even they made us watch a little tiny flash documentary about eight mile so that the white people the the black people anybody who was there could oh if you meet a black person maybe they'll understand the woes of eight mile and the woes of segregation well, it, was, uh, it was that kind of shit was this like, is this like reverse critical race theory yes like, the, the woes of completely reverse. <laughs> And then they would always ask me, they'd be like, Zuri, how do you feel? Like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm from a black city. I went to an all black high school. We all graduated. Like, I'm not really, yeah, Detroit can be the slums, but it's also copious amounts of people who are not living that way. And you don't have to connect with somebody on that negative scale. Like, oh, we're both really sad or we're both oppressed. Like, no, we can both like ice cream and just talk about that. Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Oh my God. Yeah. I, uh, I worked in, when I lived in Washington, DC, uh, I was in AmeriCorps and I worked. AmeriCorps. I was, that's what it was. I was oh, in you were in AmeriCorps too? Oh, that's yeah. amazing. Were you uh, part of like TFA or what was your thing? It, it was, um, it was just a standard AmeriCorps. It wasn't any of like the VISTA or any of that. It was just. Well, they have like, I think there's a few, like, so I was in AmeriCorps in triple C. So I was on a team. Okay. Uh, and like, I, so I would do like, what I did a lot of was like building houses for Habitat for Humanity. That was like okay. one of our main deals. Right. But then we were based in Washington, DC. Mm -hmm. And then we got put into uh, the school system. Mm -hmm. uh, I was, I was 21 years old at the time. Me too. <laughs> oh, that's crazy, man. I didn't, who, who would have known that we have so much in common with teaching and right. not that I was a teacher. I'm not going to ever no. I, I know so many teachers. I would never, ever disrespect them by saying I was a teacher because I certainly yeah. was not. No. Uh, I was like an ex auxiliary 
uh, some kind of like, you know, just to help things yeah. work. But yeah, yeah, but I was, yeah, the thing was in the school too, like, you know, and I was a white man or whatever, you know, but I was 21 and mm. I still definitely thought I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And I, I still think I, a lot of the times I still don't realize I'm a grown up, except for when I have to. Right. Uh, but yeah, I got, the, you know, the, the weird thing too was the administration of that school. Once they kind of like, a lot of my team was a lot more serious and they kind of like put them in like specific things to help kids with specific subjects. Yes. And with me, they made me uh, in charge of recess and specifically like, that was like my my main like, I did some tutoring you know like for kids that were really far behind yeah. to where like yeah, I was smart enough to even help right that's what I was doing too same thing and then uh yeah they had me doing mm-hmm. recess because all the kids just thought I was fun as shit and that was also like the problem though so they were like when they did uh field trips all the kids that had gotten in too much <laughs> trouble to go on field trips they had to stay with me which ended up being throughout the course of like that time so many kids would be stoked as fuck to like not have to go on a, uh, on a field trip because yeah. it meant that I was in charge, which meant, which meant that it was just what like, I was like, well, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to watch uh, the Lion King or yeah. whatever Disney you guys pick. Cause we had DVDs, you know, it wasn't like streaming back then. I was like, you know, pick out your DVD. We'll watch that for a little bit. Then we're going to go outside and we're just going to play. It's free play. But if you want, I'll make up a game. And so like kids would come back from the field trip, like bummed out and just browbeaten. And all the kids that had stuck with me would be like, have had the best day of school. Exactly. Honestly, I don't know if I have a point to that other than no, like, no, yeah. problems with the school system. Right. So to, to bring that back so that we were doing the same damn thing, except after like halfway through the year, they decided to do these affinity groups where they were like, okay, we're going to put the black people in this group, the white people in this group the mixed kids in this group and the Asian group and the Latin Latino group. Right. At some point I'm like, so y'all are segregating these kids for what? Yeah. Wait, like, what, 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 are you, what are you teaching? If, if what you are we to, like, doing? Yeah. There was no open there. And then they were just, cause that was the thing. Like you had your team and you had the people who were really serious. And then you had you who was like, all right, we're just going to, I'm going to just make sure these kids are comfortable because basically they got a lot going on and it is what it is. So I'm in charge. They put me in charge of the black people group, obviously. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and after about a week, it ended up just because the group was small. It was maybe 10 kids. But then after a week, it turned into the black girl group because the boys were like, this is some bullshit. I'm about to go play basketball and be a black kid over here. And I'm like, Hey, you don't have to sit here with me. I don't, I think this is stupid too. <laughs> so we would just sit there. Like we would have an hour after school and we would sometimes we'd go outside and we just talk. And I think that they thought that it was helpful. Like you didn't have to sanction this. I would have just ended up talking to these girls because that's just what I would have done. Like it wasn't, I didn't have to be told to put these girls in a group and talk about how hard it is to be black in Portland and oh, I don't know what kind of boys I like. Like I didn't have y'all didn't have to sanction this. It wasn't necessary. Back to the point, the story bait that I wrote was feeling oppressed. So naturally I started writing about slavery. <laughs> and <Yeah>. I wrote <laughs> so bait is a short fiction about um it's based in the bayou and this little girl little slave girl her mom leaves she's like I'll be back don't leave don't do anything she leaves the little hut anyway and goes out to look at the moon but while she's out there she sees um the slave catcher people 
catching alligators in the bayou, but they're using black babies as bait. So they're like rubbing them in lard and tying them to a rope and throwing them in the water. <laughs> and uh, so the girl sees this and she's all freaking out and shit. And she runs back home and her mom is there. She's like, I told you not to leave, but you left anyway. So like the point of that story was like, yes, you should venture out and see what's going on, but don't be scared when you see some shit you didn't ask for, you know? Yeah. Like you can get it from a parent, you can get it from somebody older, you can get it from a peer, just like somebody that knows what's going on. Like your curiosity can only take you so far until you are in reality and like, oh shit, I didn't need to see that. Well, so, and, but ultimately like that darkness is in the world mm -hmm. and whether or not you want it to be there, it is there and I guess maybe, and I'm not trying to like analyze your story because I haven't read it yet, but I'm mm -hmm. about to ask you like how I can, but I was <laughs> gonna say like, oh, I, how much, for something like that, like for something that horrifying and like tragic, like how much would you even be prepared if someone was like, hey, it's this, this is what you're going to see. And then yeah. when you see it, it's still going to be a trauma. Right. I don't know. Yeah. And I, I said it is told in the story of a little girl. So, you know, the dialect is a little juvenile. And I brought that up because to tie it back to Juice Malou, um, that story got published so many times. And I started to think like, I would send people stuff about love. I would send them the love stories I wrote, the travel stories I wrote, but the slave story kept getting published. And at some point I was like, is this a part of that tragedy porn that everybody likes? So I started to feel a certain type of way about it. Yeah. And sure. I didn't want it. I didn't want to keep getting it published. So I retired the story after the fifth, fifth sixth time. Are you, <clears throat> I mean, are you done with it or? Like, yeah, I mean, I'm completely done with this version of it. I've all, like I've I've written screen script versions of it, you know what I'm saying? But that would be hard to shoot just on my own little my own little budget. I'm not about to go down to the bayou and shoot this scary ass. Oh story. hell! Oh, <laughs> but I know for a fact that if I wrote it out completely all the way, somebody would buy it because people like that kind of shit. And I just don't know if I want that to be my first thing. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't yeah, want to yeah, be yeah. known as a slave story girl. Yeah. You know, you don't want to get boxed in. Yeah. But also, I mean, it, the story, it's, it's, and also, like, even the subject matter, it's not like you're making something up that's not a, like a historical. Yeah. He, like, uh, and, and the reason I'm, because I just recently was learning about some of Russia's. Uh, really, really dark history and mm. the, their pogroms. And it was, kind of an explanation of why so many uh why there was a huge exodus of uh jewish people from russia to a certain time here in america like during our like i guess was like the boom of the garment industry in america it was like yeah. when garments were mass produced and it was all done by jewish people and that's because there were these uh pogroms in russia that were so violent and insane and they, there was i don't know if i want to get too deep but there was like things like where they would do like they would take like a people a person's baby and like use it as a thing to throw through a, a window to like loot that oh my shop. god yeah oh yeah no history is a history is horrible yeah <laughs> but, but i feel like I, I should be educated i feel like i should know that this really happened because right you know we live in a world like i feel like at any moment it could happen again and also yep. we i mean shit shit like this is happening right now but we just happen maybe in america it's not quite that bad sometimes 
but it's shit. We're on the verge anytime, right? I don't know. Right. And that's why I made this story so short and why I just ended it where I felt like it made sense because it starts kind of in the middle of some shit and it ends at the middle of some shit because it could keep going. It could always keep going. Like I could expound on the mama. Like why, where was she going? What was she doing? Why wasn't she there? You know what I'm saying? So yeah. why was she chosen to go be at the party with the master instead of somebody? Like I could have done all of that, but I think the fact that it's just two little pages and you know exactly what I mean. Like, okay, they're using babies to catch alligators. You don't really need to know much other than that to form your own. Like, this is that was some shit. This is this is gonna sound ignorant, but when you said two pages, is that kind of like flash fiction? Um, yeah. I know you said a thousand words, but I like I'm trying well, to like in my mind yeah. imagine that like on a, like in a book or a magazine or something. Because this book is so tiny, it's two pages. But when I typed it on the computer, it was a page and a half. Okay. So it was a, it was eight hundred and some words. Double spaced. No. <laughs> no, I'm just saying because like I used to I used to try and get away with that with that shit when I had to write, had to write essays oh, yeah. when I was in school. I'd be like, yeah, I'll write a page and a half, double spaced X. I'll like create the like would up the font. Yep. <laughs> um, yo, can we take like a hard uh, left turn to something else? Mm-hmm. Uh, just it's more about you though. And mm-hmm. um, I was just thinking about like you studying at uh, Trinity College in Dublin. And I thought, like, that a really funny uh, comedy sketch would be to have one of your college professors be, like, super buzzed off Jameson <laughs> and, like, trying to teach you how to write a limerick, because I know you're a poet, <laughs> and, like, right. like, in poetry class, and he's, like, right. and there's another reason why I didn't want to go down that road, is because I actually recently realized that Ireland is uh, the, like, out of all the countries in Europe that's where the most people, most listeners of this podcast are in Europe or in Ireland. So I really don't want to insult you guys by the fact that I can't do your accent, but I think you have a really cool accent guys. And I wish I could, somebody teach me. Uh. (laughs) It really is. And Ireland is really beautiful. I, the, the way that started was I was taking an Irish lit class at Michigan state and I was doing really well. Like I didn't do good in any of my other classes that weren't English related. So I got an A. And then my professor was like, do you want to study abroad in the summertime? Because we take these. Hell yeah. I'm like, "Uh, yeah. Who cares? Of course I do. I'll pay this money. I'm going to do it. (laughs) Also, I mean, like abroad, Ireland, like it's got to be like in my top five of like it would be a because you don't have to learn a new language. No, that was the big thing. Yeah. Because all the other all the other programs at Michigan State are really like science based and like you know you'll go or business based. So a lot of the things that I want places I wanted to go I couldn't go because there wasn't an English program. So there there was an English program. I already basically knew what I needed to know about the Irish canon. So I said fuck it, let's go. So I went there. We spent two weeks in Galway, and then we spent the rest of the time in Dublin. That's where I was at Trinity in Galway. I was at NUI. Um, and I saw, I saw a lot of stuff. I saw a lot of stuff that I didn't think that I was going to see. I had no idea what was going to go down when I got to Ireland. I had never even, same with Portland. I was just like, I'm going to go to Portland and just live there. So that's something that I do. I just go do shit. Yeah. Hell yeah. That's the way yeah. to live. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to, I want to go ahead and make that a, a special of my visa round podcast, uh, tenant. That's yeah. the way to do it. Just yep. go do shit. Just go do shit. <laughs> But I had a really good time. I mean, I was, it was culture shock. It was weird. I was, of course, the only black girl there. And then no, the it, black- what's up? But I, I, I'm also, I'm, so I'm, I'm also 
just, you know, I, I just never, I never really leave America other than I've been to Mexico a lot. Uh-huh. So I don't, it's like, is Ireland just like straight up just white people? That's it? I mean, where I was at, and just like, I guess, any other major city in a country or a state, um, Dublin was touristy, but the Black people who were there were African. And then students and shit, you know, random artists. Um, I like, to be honest with you, I liked Galway better than I liked Dublin. It was just kind of, it was just chill, you know? Yeah. Oh, I'll get, I got tore up. Let me tell you, the whole time. And at some point I was like, I can't drink anymore. I can't do any, I can't do it anymore. I, I, I shaved my head. I got my lip pierced. Like I had a whole, I'm recreating myself. <laughs> oh, damn. So you like, you turned into like the most Irish punk rock. Yeah, like. <laughs> I really did. No, I genuinely did. And not yeah. to say that I'm like, I am a sponge, but I do have a personality, but I do like to test my own boundaries of my personality. Like how hard can I go? Hell yeah. But I met some really cool people. I learned a lot of cool stuff. Um, the party scene is great. The art scene is amazing. I saw a really good play at the Abbey Theater. Did a lot of reading. Woke up to bagpipes almost every day. Didn't like that. There's gotta be like some beautiful landscapes too, too right? Like- mm-hmm. Yeah, we, would, we did one little tour. We did a day tour in Sligo. And Sligo is where, oh, I don't want to get this wrong. James Joyce or Yates. Yates. W.B. Yates is buried there. So it's kind of a touristy place but they have these cliffs and all these rolling hills and all these statues there's this gorgeous statue of a woman like because irish literature and just i I guess irish culture is a very sea-based like people go to the sea to work and sometimes they don't come back so a lot of the sorrow that's within irish Irish literature is like "Ah." the the melancholia of ireland that's a Mm -hmm. that's a big thing Yes, like melancholy people, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of art depicting that around Ireland, statues and just woesome people. (laughs) And the thing, and this is funny. The thing that someone told me that was from there, she's like, "You're not, you're not standing out because you're black. You're standing out because you're happy and you dress well." Oh yeah, yeah, hell yeah. (laughs) Wait, what a great way to stand out, though. You know. Oh my God, you know what just, what just popped in my head and I, I just have to say it and it's not a firm, for, fully formulated thought so it might come across really fucking stupid yeah. but I just have to say this because you were talking about Portland you're talking about Ireland and like also like these super white places mm-hmm. which is, I just was just thinking like just ironically and it's just probably coincidental or maybe it's just like synchronicity with this podcast because this podcast like is a magnet for synchronicity. Mm-hmm. That it's crazy that like a place like Portland, which is like what you're saying, like a super white fucking place is one of the, I mean, I guess in America, probably like one of the number one places for the BLM protests, hands down, like the gnarliest, like they go like proud boys get their asses beat over there, like very respectable, in my opinion, like how well Portland has showed up for BLM. But also I was going to say that, um, and this is, uh, I'm not fact checking this right now. This is just coming off like me trying to remember the news, but like, I also believe that uh, Ireland was the first country in the EU to recognize Palestine as a sovereign state and that they were being illegally occupied. I don't think they were backed up by a lot of other countries. And I think that might possibly also be because Ireland has like a a history of being an occupied state. Mm -hmm. They're like, 
I don't, that might affect their uh, their politics. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I just yeah, had yeah. to shout that out because it just it just popped in my mind that you were just talking about these two places, and I was like, holy mm-hmm. shit! Weirdly, super white places being like really showing the fuck up for right, uh, right. human rights. And the thing about like, I'll say that Ireland just historically they gather. You know, they stand to get even. I, it can be based on, you know, how sad everything is. And they're like, we need to huddle together and get our shit together. But I will say this about Portland. As performative as they are with their protests, they do not, just how, like, I was saying at the schools, like, they're not really accommodating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like, it was also, yeah, what you were talking about earlier, like, the school is clearly not, they're using a, a terrible model of education in that sense. But yeah, there's this very performative, we are anti- uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. white supremacy. But are you? (laughs) Are you though? Because it costs a million dollars to live here. I also uh, (laughs) learned from a a pretty interesting person about some of the history of Oregon. And Oregon was originally intended to be uh, a white, white utopia yes yeah oh you already knew about that i've figured I know, you, you, a little bit really, yeah. just a little bit, just a little bit. <laughs> I, I i didn't know about that until uh actually until last summer when i was like at the protest and i was getting myself more educated and shit and someone was like and i was and we were all like looking at portland as being some kind of uh model or like some kind of great example mm. of how to, how to do it yeah. and then people were educating me that uh that oregon was originally one of the most white supremacist states that had ever yeah and like you said it was meant to be a white utopia it was meant to be a state that had it was an ethno state right they weren't fucking around hold up it's time to check the mailbag every week on the show we check the mailbag to see if anyone has written a message to the show and then we read that message out loud This week's message comes from Lawrence Patricia. Lawrence wrote, Hello, handsome. Sorry to bother you. I'm Lawrence Patricia. I checked you out now and would like to know you more and probably be your sugar mommy. I'm willing to give you a weekly allowance. Thanks, Lawrence Patricia. But it's just like, uh, it's like I've been hurt so many times before that like it's kind of like time for me to like travel the ocean because it's like how can i really be a sugar baby if i've never actually ever been my own sugar mommy Uh so thanks for writing into the show and now back to the interview and i want to move into film and i guess i'm just just right off the top like uh how many screenplays have you written i have written i have written 25 of my own you've written 25 screenplays <laughs> yeah and we, we, i won't give it feature film martin scorsese type shit it's just you know i'm combining everything i wrote in college and in camp and then on my own and uh my adaptations because like i'll write a poem and then i'll make a script out of it yeah yeah that's cool uh, i guess man uh 25 is like way too many to get into so i guess yeah. <laughs> really my question would be like do you have a favorite one like do you have one screenplay in particular that maybe is like if like if for instance if i was like hey i've got i know some people at netflix and maybe i can get you hooked up 
do you have one you would send? And like, uh, and if so, can you uh, can you describe that particular screenplay to me? The one that we're going to pitch to Netflix, I guess. Yeah. It doesn't have it doesn't have, it doesn't have to be Netflix if you don't like them. No, it can be Netflix. They got a lot of money. Netflix um, is good, it's taking over. They're going to be the biggest production company like, ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know they're still operating at a loss. No. From all the DVDs. Uh, from their production quality. You know, speaking of Anthony Mackie, who I keep bringing up over and over again. Uh, uh, Altered Carbon was the most expensive television show ever made. Oh. But like they they're doing that for a reason because like they know that someday like they're gonna be the next Paramount or the next mm-hmm. whatever Universal. Yeah. If I wanted, if I was gonna give Netflix something, because I, I write when I say screenplays, I'm saying screenplays and teleplays. Like I write for TV and film. So. Oh, awesome! Oh, I didn't know you uh, wrote uh, television as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I I got paid for. I get paid for. Like I consult. You know. Yeah. If someone has a script idea, I consult. Um, if someone needs like some script doctoring, I do that. Or if someone's just like, hey, I have an idea about a man on a boat, I'll, they can pay me to write a movie. I'll go write. Who come with you? They're like, I've got an idea for a man on a boat. Here's money. Make it a story. Yeah. <laughs> Did they do that? Yes. <clears throat> awesome. Um, but if I was going to pitch something to Netflix right now, it would be an episodic something because that's hot in these streets. People love to sit and binge. So. Oh, yeah. I'm going, I'm going TV there and I have a story called the frame shop, <clears throat> the frame shop. And that is based on actual events in Detroit in the early nineties. And uh, the premise is these two dudes buy a piece of property with a piece of shit on it and they turned it into an art gallery because they had been framing art around the city for years <clears throat> so they're like hey we should just frame the art and sell it you know but it's funny because they don't really know what they're doing okay <laughs> like yeah you can put a picture in a frame but yeah if you put a a document printed on lambskin in a frame and then leave it in the sun it's going to shrink so you have to yeah. like they they're figuring out all these things and meanwhile it's a bunch of shit going down in detroit someone's then held a white a black who, who was there was a hostage situation at a bank uh, <laughs> i love it already this this is this is netflix gold <laughs> i hope they're listening and you know they just have to there's, there's always going to be two stories like all right we got this piece of art we need to frame it oh shit somebody shot up my car and not in a ghetto way in a oh shit someone shot up my car last I wasn't even around for that yeah. you know <laughs> it's just because that's what it is in Detroit it's like if I'm sitting here trying to write a screenplay my power is gonna go off because it flooded you know it's just stuff that happens around here all the time and so I have about eight episodes of that right now they're 30 minutes it's it's a comedy but it's gonna get kind of dark because that's who I am and it's based on my dad and my uncle so I have like a front. Oh, oh, cool. So it's based on like uh, people yeah. you actually do. Yeah. Oh, um, shit. I'm sorry. Like this is like going back, and you'll probably forget we even had this conversation. Mm-hmm. Big Sean. That's yeah. that's who I meant. <laughs> yeah, you meant what about Big Sean? No, man. I don't, I don't know that I, how I mixed. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Big Sean and J Cole. Is that because uh, I was talking about Detroit rappers and I fucking yeah. said J. Cole. I don't know why I fucking said yeah. that. And what I meant was Big Sean. And so I don't know. I hope I hope people will forgive me. I'm sure most people in Detroit won't, but like no, you're fucked. Like, listen, 
hear me out. First of all, uh, Big Sean, I don't know if you do like him at all. I do not at all. Oh, shit. Well, then I am a. I like Danny Brown. I hate him too. Do you like <laughs> <What>? Danny Brown? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. What? I'm just trying to be agreeable. What? Do you like Danny Brown? Who? Oh, my God. Uh, no, I just couldn't understand you. I couldn't hear what you said. Danny Brown. No, I don't know who that is. Oh, my God. Look it up. All right, I will. I will do that. I will do that immediately. He, he is my big shot. Okay. And he, yes. But he's from Detroit? Yes. All right, well, then I will absolutely fuck with that. The real trenches, not these Hollywood trenches. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry that I'm talking about these, like, like extremely mainstream rappers that like definitely don't probably represent Detroit in any kind of way. No, I mean, that's but, the whole thing. Like we don't have that. We don't have a Nipsey hustle. We don't have a 50 cent. We don't have that. So yeah. I don't blame you for just being like, Oh, I'm mixing up big Sean and J. Like, I don't, I'm not mad at you about that at all. I, in my defense, how different is, j cole and big sean really i can't really <laughs> like i mean if you were like if i mean shit now i'm gonna piss off even more people because more people are like actually big fans of like at least one of them yeah but- <laughs> i think they both just represent what hollywood needs like they're like okay we need a smart rapper okay we oh, need yeah a like a fly rapper i guess big sean would be fly because he get all these bitches and now he would Janae Aiko and they're like oh look at our love and it's like okay you wouldn't get no play in high school I hate that I'm doing this right now I'm really (laughs) sorry y'all I'm real sorry but y'all know what I mean when I say that it's like okay when Big Sean came out he had a song with Chris Brown and we were like yay but from there I just lost interest I don't know what song was that I don't remember I don't even know what you're talking about Something about hands up in the air. It was like ass, 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 ass. ass. <laughs> I like song. that song. <laughs> that was my jam for a minute. Now, see, the <laughs> thing is, no, Big Sean did have some things that, like, at least were fun if you like to go out and like dance and, and have a good time. Exactly right. But, but uh, then, like, we got way too into their personal lives. That was what it was. It's like I don't care about none of this, and I know he wants us to know what he's doing. That's with yeah. any, that's what, I mean, you could just name any celebrity. I'm just saying that because we talk about Big Sean and why I don't fuck with him. I'm, I guess like that's, and it shouldn't just be because I'm from the South because I just think it's not just that I'm from here. I just think that like uh, after a certain period in time, uh, the South was just producing like just the most original uh, rap artists for, and, and to this day, like I still, like I still think that's the same that's happening, you know? And, uh, yeah, y'all will push the buttons. Y'all are just but like, but yeah. uh what to like to what you were saying, it's not just like innovative and great or whatever, but they also got to get elevated to that status of where Big Sean and J. Cole are or whatever. But like we're not gonna ever uh say like outcast sucked for any reason. Right. <laughs> you know, like no one's ever gonna say that. Or right. I'm a big fan of Run the Jewels right now. And oh my god, yeah. Like, and I, I mean I have been forever. Yeah. And but it was that was kind of a funny thing because I was a, a big fan of like all those dudes like the Dungeon Family and shit and then I just thought that was like such a cool connection when it became uh, LP and Killer Mike and the same same thing and then I remember like not to it's it's like when they did uh, corporate level shit it was still cool like when they right. came out and they like and they got on uh, the Stephen Colbert late night show mm-hmm. and they were doing shit I was like they're not losing any respect from me. They're no. just 
amazing. They're just taking the opportunities that are given to them and doing what they've always been doing. It's not like, okay, I'm gonna see if we're gonna carry. Let me put on a suit, or I'm about to go to the Grammys. Let me get the baddest bitch I can find. It's like, okay, are you going as you, or are you going as what you think you're supposed to be, so you can keep doing this? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that that, that applies to anybody and anybody, not just Big Sean. <laughs> I want to make. This, this ties back into what I was saying earlier about movies based in Detroit. And I want to bring up Andre uh, Benjamin, or Andre 3000, however, like, yeah. people might remember his name the best. It was just so crazy to me. Like, he came out, created, like, some of the best music, you know, like, from, from my childhood. Like, growing up, like, I just loved it so much. And then he was like, I'm going to be an actor. And then he showed up and proved that he was a great actor. You know, he made some good movies, too. Like, really good movies. But he only made, like, a few yeah. And then he just stopped. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I just wonder like what a, where his mind was at, where he's like, mm. I'm done, did enough. I mean, I've definitely felt that way about poetry. I mean, I didn't write, the last book I had was in 2017. And then I switched to photography for a minute just to kind of like get my brain back into writing scripts and cinematography and all that. Like I was trying to be more visual than poetic. Cause like, if I can figure out what it is I'm about to write, I can make it poetic instead of starting in, you know, going in other directions. So, I mean, I think the great artists, not saying that I am one of the greatest artists, I'm just saying that artists and creative people don't want to overextend themselves in one area and then end up not fucking with it. I mean, cause even if I had to say this, cause I mean, I'm afraid of Hollywood, <clears throat> not gonna lie. Like if all of this works out, when all of this works out and I'm out here writing scripts, that Hollywood beast is terrifying. So I don't know what it is with people like coming into a different craft or say you go into acting, you make a film. Making a film is not like making an album. It's very it's, hard it's a, it's and it involves- Predatory industry, people. you know? Yeah, and it's like, you never know who's really got your shit where, they, where their shit is. It's like, am I trying to get something from you or are we just gonna be right here and go? It's, it's a lot of this. <clears throat> so, I mean, I don't know. I know that for a fact that I am afraid and I'm not ashamed to say that. I think you're just, you're being wise to uh, be wary of that predatory industry. Mm-hmm. You know, honestly doing this podcast, I've learned so much more about that, that always being like a journalist, like quotation marks kind of keeps <laughs> you just below the level of having to deal with that shit. Unless you're like a, a scumbag, like a, right. like Ben Shapiro. You know, like or Tucker Tucker Carlson, those mm-hmm. dudes like, they want to be famous. Yeah. They're not doing journalism. They're just they're like just filthy fucking assholes trying to trying shit. to get over. Right. Yeah. I um, and I also don't want to be told what to write about. Yeah. And I don't want to place products in my scripts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just a lot of stuff. But to answer your question, I don't know why. I think that he was probably just done. It's like, I can use this talent elsewhere. Cause I saw Four Brothers is great. I love that movie and people from Detroit love that movie. It's not, none of us never, none of us have a problem with it. And real quick, did you see Shia LaBeouf's movie with Kid Cudi in it? And it was in French? Uh, it's not here. No, nah, I mean, I love Kid Cudi, but like I kind of, Shia LaBeouf kind of like, uh, there's he kind of oh, like something scared. about him kind of like makes me like uh, <clears throat> ad- adverse to him. This was before, well, this was years ago. This was years ago. 
but I say that because it was shot in Detroit. Okay, well, I'll, I will check it out. I mean, I'm I'm totally I'm just, a cinephile. I'll watch. I will watch movies that I don't think I'm gonna like, and I watch them anyway. And it's really short, and it is dark, but <laughs> it's done well. And I'm just mentioning it because I'm thinking of other films that are Detroit based or whatever. But between that and Four Brothers and Eight Mile, like if you're talking violent movies, <laughs> all right, they, they add up. They add up. They, I mean, it's not like this isn't true. Is what I'm saying. You well, know, I guess I'm, like, and then like I think one of the ones I brought up earlier, like I mean, I did say uh, RoboCop, which is obviously bullshit sci-fi. <laughs> yeah, but and I did say The Crow, which is clearly <laughs> yeah. like fantasy. But I also said uh, Gran Torino, which mm-hmm. is that. Did you see that with uh what's his fucking name? Uh Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood. Have I seen it? I it's mean, the I most racist fucking movie ever, but I think Is there's it? a point to where like it, like I think there's like a point trying to be made that racism like it's almost like it's fuck, I don't know, like it's not apologetic about it. Like it's trying In to be like Detroit? this is this is reality. What? Are you saying is that the point? Like it's racist in Detroit? Uh well, first of all, let me take one step back from what i just said because okay. i think that clint eastwood is probably a very fucking racist person in real life okay for sure and he but definitely cast himself in a hero in that movie okay. but the point is he's a he's an old dirty racist white man in detroit and he's angry as fuck and he's mad because uh and then i can't it was, there's an asian community that's moving into his neighborhood and he's like the last white man that lives in that house okay I don't know. It's okay. All right. No, I don't know what he knows about Detroit. And I can't say that any white person would ever feel that way here. Not to say white people from Detroit are different. You can tell a white person from Detroit versus a white person from 10 minutes away from Detroit. You can just, you know, and it's, we don't have a lot of issues. It's the, it's the people in the gas stations and the people who are at waiting these tables at these new restaurants. Those are the racist people. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. So a lot of racism talk in Detroit doesn't happen. And that's a, to just kind of be quick about this. When, um, you know, when the cops kept shooting people, as they do, as cops keep shooting Black people for no reason, people were like, why isn't anybody doing anything in Detroit? I'm like, well, because a lot of cops don't shoot a lot of people here. It's not something that is normal. Really, in Detroit, that's uh, not a common thing? No, it's not really a thing we have to deal with. Wow, because it's a big ass thing here in Nashville. If, yeah. And we, I like, mean, we, uh, not we just had, we, I, not to, I just, I'll, I'll say it real quick, but this is actually big news right now. So I'll just bring it up. Yeah. We just had a cop here. He uh, murdered a dude in cold blood, shot him in the back. It was three years ago. It just happened yesterday. So like they charged him with first degree murder because it was clearly like I mean there was there was no defense. Yeah. And what they let they let him do is they let him plead guilty to manslaughter, mm. uh, which is a very, very light sentence for what he did. Mm. But it's like a groundbreaking thing because it's the first cop to ever be convicted for murdering a black person in Nashville. Jesus. And that's, I mean, that's going back, like, who knows how many years. I mean, right. since the city was founded, like, during the Civil War, before the Civil War. Right. I mean, and for the most part in Detroit, cops were Black, and they were people that you knew, like, for the longest time. It wasn't like, 
getting pulled over in Detroit was not a thing. It's like, all right, I'm about to get a ticket because I was speeding because that's what you do here. And I'm talking very surface level. I don't want anybody to think I've done all, I'm speaking for every crime ever committed. I'm just talking about like on the surface level, driving around Detroit wasn't scary for, to be black. But now in the last, and this is when you know, our mayors, our politicians are black. Like for the most part, you had to worry about a corrupt politician before you had to worry about a corrupt cop. I yeah. Think. So I, I guess think, we like we see a different picture from like you know in other cities in the U.S. Because yeah. I remember, uh, is is it like is that your is your mayor like a white lady? He's a white man. Our governor's a white lady. Or governor, whatever, and like a bunch of like Yahoo fucking uh, magas with like guns and shit. We're trying to break into the. Like yes. the governor, yeah, 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 mm-hmm. mansion or mm-hmm. the I guess the capital. I don't. Do you yeah, know what I'm talking about? Man- yeah, the governor's mansion. They were going to take her. They were going to um, kidnap her. Yeah, they didn't do shit though. They, they just didn't. like they just like they all those caught. cops just let them go. That's fucking crazy, man. Yeah, but the thing about Detroit now is because we have a white mayor and he owns. He's letting Dan Gilbert buy everything. Our cops are different. The way that they operate are different. I was saying this yesterday. I was just driving home from a picnic and every couple of blocks, somebody was pulled over and every cop was white and they were in Detroit police cars. And that's just not something that makes sense to me at all. Well, I think there's like, I mean, and I don't have the statistics on hand and I don't, this is like on this podcast, I don't Google shit while I'm doing it. Cause it's like, yeah, it's just not, it's not, I'd like to do just natural conversations but i do know uh statistically there's this, there's this huge attrition in the in police nationwide where all these cops are leaving there's they're quitting their jobs because they're like fuck this you know really it's so bad yeah it's, it's a it's a huge thing nationwide but you also have an, uh, on the other side of that you're getting uh people don't want to apply to be cops because it's just such an unpopular thing to be right now it's not like you know back in the day we're like and i don't want to uh, disrespect Will Smith or anything like that, but if you like were to watch like, you know, Bad Boys or Bad Boys Two, you'd be like, oh, I should be a cop and I can be cool like Will Smith or right. <laughs> whatever. And yeah, uh, and you know that's just copaganda, you know, like mm-hmm. how we say. It. But like mm-hmm. uh, now, there's like there's truly being an effect, you know, from all the uh, Black Matters, sorry, the BLM protests and just people becoming more awake about what's happening and that uh, George Floyd. Derek Chauvin finally like you know facing justice all the shit it's like uh it's changing the attitudes of a lot of these guys and I think a lot of them that like have something else to do are bouncing out you know like fuck man like I don't I don't feel like because they used to do that job to have like uh what's called like instant respect or whatever you know right yeah I mean and it made sense even when like tv shows like being a detective was cool it's like I would be a detective when I go you can't be a detective without being a cop first. So you have to yeah. do that. And That's- I guess people figured that out and was like, oh, never mind. Or they figured that out and were even more pumped. So, I mean, I'm going to keep an eye out because it seems like we have a lot more fucking cops than we ever have. Yeah. And ever. Like, it's scary. I wish that you could understand what I mean. And people from here can attest to that. But my uncle's a cop and he's been a cop for 30 years. And I'm going to ask him. I want to know. I want to know what's happening. Because he did tell me he's like a lot of good old boys from the outskirts of bumfuck Michigan are coming to Detroit to be state troopers or be cops. It's, uh, it's like what they used to do uh, to do union busting in Michigan, uh, you know, oh, fuck, I, you know, way back in like the early 1900s, like 
what they would do is they would get a bunch of old, good old boys from uh, the outskirts that don't have shit else to do and kind of like conscript them into the National Guard mm. and then bring them in. And then people would try to unionize and in places like you know uh indiana or detroit and they would uh use all these farm boys who don't fucking know shit they don't know what their politics are and they just give them guns and they don't know what else to do and they just give them directions and that's like and that's how that goes that is terrifying and you know potentially that's kind of what's happening now because it's like yeah but fuck man we really did a uh i think yeah go ahead (laughs) no you go ahead you go ahead i'm gonna say based on this conversation whether or not i talked about these books and all my writing and stuff. I think the way that I, this conversation went would make me want to read anything that I or you wrote. You know what I'm saying? I, that's that's what I'm saying. Like when I do this podcast, like I always have something in mind. And but you know, when you're talking to someone and you're having a great conversation, mm-hmm. it just goes where it goes. Yeah. Oh, but Zuri, I have to tell you something super important. It's time for the lightning round. Mm-hmm. Let me explain how this goes. Uh-huh. the lightning round is i ask you questions and, it's, and uh they're like super fast and you don't have any time to think you can't like de- uh, deliberate about what your answer is you just have okay. to like straight from the gut answer however you like first feel like it, your answer is okay all right so these are like these aren't thoughtful questions these right. are gut reaction questions okay all right are you ready for the first one uh-huh if I had one day to hang out in Detroit, how would you schedule it for me so I could have the maximum experience? You want an itinerary? This is like, I'm like, if I just hit you up, I was like, Zuri, I got one day in Detroit. And you're like, oh, well, I'm busy. I can't like, you know, link oh, up and show you? you around. Here's some shit you need to do. You got one day. All right, cool. You okay. have to go to the Dequinder Cut. You have to go to the DIA, Detroit Institute of Arts. The whole thing. Gotta see the whole thing. Is that a museum? Um, yes. Okay. If you can make it to the library across the street, we should do that. The main library. Um, you should eat at. You should go to La Dolce Vita if you can get a reservation. Italian spot. In the All place. right. I love Italian food. Mm-hmm. And if you're still got some time at night and you want to party, I would go to the majestic rooftop. All right. Now, let's just say, for the sake of argument, I went to the Majestic Rooftop. I had a great time, but I was like, but wait a second. I really want to go watch a rap battle in the middle of an industrial area. <laughs> Is there like a place where I can go cypher. see someone like Eminem and Anthony Mackey, like battle it out? <laughs> I would have to take some of my friends and see who's doing what. Okay. Also, like, probably I would probably need you to like escort me, I assume. No, not at all. Nah, you're right, because I'm cool in every hood. It's exactly. true. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. I can fail. <laughs> it, you know, it's like it's like a slash between being kind of dumb but being very adventurous. And that's yeah. I consider that like the way to get through life. Mm-hmm. All right. I know you like gin. What's better? A gin martini or a gin and tonic? A gin and tonic. I'm gonna agree. 100%. And as a matter of fact, gin and tonic was briefly my drink when I was trying to be kind of a fancier kind of guy before I just kind of got back into like realizing who I really am. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I kind of just realized like that cheap beer is kind of like more just what I fuck with. Mm-hmm. But uh, can I share a really quick story? It's, it's very short. 
Yes. Uh, I was in Chicago, like right before the pandemic started, and like you could still travel and not wear a mask and shit. Mm-hmm. And I went to this bar, and it was kind of like uh, it was kind of like a nicer bar. And I was there with a lot of people that I didn't know very well, but like I was supposed to hang out with those people. Like I was part of a thing, and I was hanging out with that crew. Right. And uh, at the bar, they had a fucking shitload of like 40s of old english in stacked in ice and i walked up there and i I think it was supposed to be like a ironic hipster thing and they didn't think anyone ever would buy it i think right and i walked up and it was a prop well and also this bar was like you know three deep at that point and i was like fuck waiting in line and you know and so i was like hey are these 40s just for sale for real like and they're like capped you know like which is unusual because in nashville you can't uh if you buy a, a, a beer, it has they have to take the top off for you to be allowed to have it. Mm-hmm. I guess it's not the case in Chicago. Anyway, so this dude just like the bartender sold me two forties, and so I just went and sat down at this table with a bunch of people that don't know me very well with two yeah. forties of OE, and I was like, uh, I mean, like I just don't I I hate standing in line. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh, so that's. I don't know why I had to tell that Did story. Did you share but them? I have what? to know. Did you share them with anybody? Fuck no, I didn't share my 40s. You drank 80 ounces by yourself? That was like a tenth of what I drank before I left that spot. <laughs> <laughs> I started out with 240s of, of OE and then I got to drinking. <laughs> That's how I felt in Ireland the whole time. Anyway, Chicago's a fun city. Yeah. All right. Uh, here's a question. I don't know if you can represent all of Detroit on this for me, but uh, can Nashville give Kid Rock back to Detroit? Oh, hell no. Fuck. Fuck. All right. I have a follow-up. I thought you might say that. Can we give Kid Rock back to Detroit if we also give you back Jack White? Uh, we'll take Jack White. Well, I'm indifferent to Jack White, but if you he, he doesn't go if we don't take uh, Kid Rock too. Damn. Well, you don't, y'all don't want him? You know what's so weird is that I know that Kid Rock is from Detroit, but like, you know, you see him around town here and he's such a fucking redneck piece of shit. And I'm like, he seems like he is from here. <laughs> yeah. Also, I think a lot of my, my friends that are in the, in the music industry here would like prefer to keep Jack White. So I, like I guess Jack we'll just. White. I would love to have him back. I go to his store a lot. Third man. You know, oh, you know, oh, you have a third man there too? Yeah, it's around the corner. Oh, I didn't know that was like a franchise. I, th- I thought the third man was only here. Mm-mm. It started here. Yours is new. Oh, hey. shit. Mm-hmm. Well, I used to make deliveries to third man record shop all the time. Okay. Yeah, it's a printing press back there. So, oh my God. So when you come here, we can go there. Okay. So what we'll do is I'll come there and we'll go to, I'll go to third man record shop and go like, yeah, this is like the one I have. And then you come here and we'll go to third man record shop and you'll be like, yeah, this is like what I <laughs> Is it really the same? Is there a printing? Is there a press in the back? It's called Third Man Record Shop. Uh, Jack White's like there a lot of the oh, time. I guess never mind. All right. Well, you've seen it. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, he brought down the Insane Clown Posse. Oh, another Detroit classic. He brought down the Insane Clown Posse. He brought them down here to like make their Christian album, I think. Damn. Right. I think Jack White is, I think he's like at this point, like a smart businessman. But man, I went and saw him live and I was like, this fucking sucks. Oh, and I'm a, yeah. I'm a fan of the White Stripes, but like his concert was like basically like they mixed the White Stripes with fish. Oh and it was just like, he, like they would like jam band out for like 20 minutes to like Seven Nation Army. Yeah. And at this point, like 
you know what? I, when I like to hear Seven Nation Army is like if I go to a hockey game and then they're like, bum, 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 bum. Like, and then right. it feels good, you know, but yeah. otherwise, no. Nah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Which director would you most like to work with to develop your screenplay? Or, I mean, actually, uh, uh, television. <sighs> Fuck, what do you call it? Television yeah. screenplay. Am I stupid? Any of them. Um, Ari Aster. Who's Ari Aster? He did Midsummer. Oh my God. You're a fan of Midsummer? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is the only thing that you and I, I think, disagree on. Did but you like I forgive you. Uh, I was just like, it was like so slow for me. Oh, and, yeah. Well, yeah. And all those like tones were like, like the, they were like, I know you're supposed to be uncomfortable, but like for me, like uh, atonal sounds that last for a really long time, like really bother me. And that okay. movie was just like, it would just be like, just looking at one thing and it'd be like. No, I know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that you're probably right because I've, so far, I've found that I'm the only person that didn't like Midsummer, so I guess it must be great. If you saw Hereditary, you like Midsummer. It's just two, they're two contrasting stories and they're two contrasting visually. That's why it's like, oh, I like this concept of having two films contrast each other, but I made, I made them both. Like one's very, very dark and Midsummer is obviously very light. You know what I'm saying? It's just visually, yeah. visually. I don't really give a shit about the story. I think Hereditary had a better story. I think also that's probably like because you are an artist and you were like seeing a lot that I wasn't seeing because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, cool, scary movie, scare me. And instead I was like, what? It, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Three hours of atonal sounds and like weird cult people. I know. <laughs> um, all right, so we'll, you know what, we're going to put that up in the air because actually what I'm going to do now is I'm going to watch Hereditary and give it a second chance. Okay. And the most important question of all, Zuri, where can people find you? Also, uh, we got to talk about uh, the latest episode of Juice Milieu, uh, the acid episode. Or I keep saying episode. I'm such an asshole. The acid issue. Issue. Yeah. And it's been, you can tell it's been a long time since I've like held yeah. something physically in my hands. Uh-huh. Yes, exactly. And that, that's the whole point. Having it physically in your hands. Uh, um, I want a copy. Where can I get a copy? Where can else everyone else get a copy? And also, yeah. where can everyone find you? Like, just yes. tell everyone everything. All of that. Issue thirteen, the acid issue, is out now on my shop, Big Cartel Shop. But if you go to literaryhomegirl.com, you'll see all of that. You'll see the zine. You'll see my books. You'll see a poetry gallery of sorts. And then you can get links to stuff like this podcast I've been on. You can get links to bait the story that I've written um, and where it's published at. And then if you want to just see me and all the other stuff that I do, the film stuff, the panel stuff, that's at Zuri, Z-U-R-I dot ink, you know, instead of com, it's ink because I'm cool and I'm a writer. Oh, yeah, because you're incorporated. And it was $15. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's awesome no, not ink, like ink as in ink from an ink pen oh i'm stupid i thought it was right? inc Mm-mm. i should just shut up while you talk i'm sorry it's fine i know ink it's from fine. an ink pen yes ignore what i said i'm sorry um yes and you can get you know my books and stuff there see what i'm doing see what i'm up to and then i have an instagram that's pretty cool just you know showing what i'm doing where's my library card 
that is the name of that. I'm not on there a lot, you know. I don't subscribe to the social media. I'm not a I'm not an influencer. I'm not an influencer, and I don't want to be. But you know, I've got some cool stuff to look at. So yeah, that's that. I'll send zines in the books anywhere in the world, wherever you at. Just let me know. Also, I guess I, I should shout out real quick, just like for all the people that do follow me on Instagram, you could just go to my page, click on Zuri. Then there's a link to everything in your bio, right? Mm-hmm. So that's like a real easy way to do it. If you forgot what she said, or if you got confused by the fact that I didn't know what she meant by ink. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Zuri, okay. thank you so much for being a guest on my views of my own. Anytime. Anytime. Thanks for listening to my views of my own. If you'd like to contact me, uh, you can get to me at myviewsaremyown.com or on Instagram at myviewsaremyown underscore podcast or on Twitter at myviews underscore podcast. Or if you would like to try and, and find a more creative way to contact me, I, that's totally fine as well. Thanks for listening.